0: He loves you, and He has a plan for your life. God always has and always will maintain a gospel witness in this world. Since the days of Pentecost, the Church of Jesus Christ has provided that witness. Before His ascension to the Father, Jesus said pointedly to His disciples, You shall be My witnesses. During the Tribulation, the church is gone from this earth, but God raises up 144,000 Jewish evangelists to proclaim His gospel and bring about the greatest spiritual awakening the world has ever seen. Two spiritual giants from the Old Testament also reappear to give witness. So who is the Gospel witness in your neighborhood today? For the answer to that question, take a good look in the mirror. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now.
1: Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for tuning in. Well, we're right in the middle of a six week journey through the book of Revelation. If you've missed any messages along the way, please visit somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org where you can hear any of Ron's messages on demand. While you're there, check out Something Good Television Something Good courses, Something Good travel, and the new Something Good digital library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. Today, Ron returns to Revelation to tell you about two mysterious men from the Old Testament who came back to Earth during the seven year tribulation. From his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, the last days of planet Earth, and the return of Jesus Christ. Here's Ron with today's Something Good radio message, The Mystery of God and the Two Witnesses.
0: Uh, This future Jewish temple is spoken of in at least three other places in the Bible. Jesus mentioned it in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15 when he draws upon Daniel's Old Testament prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 and talks about the abomination that causes desolation. This is a time uh, when the Antichrist goes into the Jewish temple, establishes himself as God, and demands worship. Well, that temple has to be rebuilt for him to, to do that. And then Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 gives a very lengthy description of the man of lawlessness, this one we call the Antichrist. And again, he talks about how he goes into the temple of God, establishes himself uh, as God and, and demands worship. Well, scholars have said for years that temple has to be rebuilt for the Antichrist to move in. And, and to do such things. And I believe that's what John is giving us a picture of here in Revelation chapter 11. Then I was giving a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told to rise and measure the temple of God. Why measure it? Well, like that survey, and like the seller in a real estate transaction claims, This is the property I own. This is God's way of saying the people who worship here and this building belong to me. And he's claiming it as his own by measuring out the boundaries. But it's interesting that John is told to leave out the outside temple. You know, the temple under Solomon and later under under Herod had a a footprint, a very large footprint. And there was an outer part called the court of the Gentiles. John is told to leave that out for it is given over to the nations… And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Given over to the Gentile nations who, at this point in the uh, tribulation, uh, move in on Israel, move in on the holy city, and trample it for 42 months. This is probably a reference to the second half of the tribulation period, that part that Jesus called a great tribulation. And during that time, and even the time leading up to that, God never leaves this earth without a gospel witness. Aren't you glad for that? That in wrath, he remembers mercy. Don't ever forget that. In fact, remember the angel of the Lord in chapter 10? He has a rainbow for a crown. Why a rainbow? Because a rainbow always points back to Noah and that time that God put a bow in the sky and promised Noah never to judge the earth with a worldwide flood again. In wrath, God always remembers mercy. And even during the tribulation period, he does not leave this earth without a gospel witness. Verse 3, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Another reference to a a three-and-a-half-year period of time if you use the Jewish calendar. Who are these mysterious witnesses? Why why did they return to planet earth? And and, and what are they doing? Well, let's read on in verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. Now listen to this. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Who does that sound like? I mean, this is a little bit like a Sherlock Holmes mystery. We're just given some clues as to the identity of the two witnesses. If you read those descriptions carefully, they sound eerily like the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament… And Moses, because it was Elijah who was able to pray, and it didn't rain for three and a half years, and then to pray again, and it rained. He experienced the power of God in his ministry that way. And it was Moses who, through the plagues and other things, God used to fill the rivers and the water supplies with blood. Is it possible that these two witnesses that come to planet Earth during the tribulation period are none other than Elijah, the prophet from the Old Testament, and Moses? I mean, how mysterious is that? Well, it's not so mysterious when you understand that it was Moses and Elijah that appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe a foreshadowing of this. And both Moses and Elijah, there's there's mystery around both of their deaths. Um, Elijah never actually died. He He was translated. Remember, caught up in the chariot of fire? and just, just caught up into heaven. Wouldn't you like to go like that one day? Not have to go through the death experience? Well, that was Elijah the prophet. And even Moses' death is a little bit mysterious in the Scriptures. The Bible says that when Moses died, God himself personally buried him somewhere. We don't know where. We, we, nobody knows to this day where Moses is buried. But these two prophets of God, these two men of God, these holy heroes of the faith, appear on planet Earth as another way of God not leaving planet Earth without a gospel witness. Who are the other witnesses on planet Earth during this time? The 144,000 Jewish evangelists we talked about a few weeks ago. And it's through these 144,000 Jewish evangelists and the two witnesses, these heroes of the faith, Moses and Elijah, that the greatest spiritual awakening happens on planet Earth in the history of all of mankind. Again, God... In the midst of wrath, remembering mercy, giving the earth a gospel witness. Now, what happens to these two witnesses, though, not to mention the other 144,000, is is quite astonishing. Let's read on in verse 7. And when they have finished their testimony… The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified." For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents, because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. So Moses and Elijah reappear on planet earth. They're part of the gospel witness. That that gospel is sweet to some and bitter to others, and particularly bitter to this one who is called the beast that rises from the bottomless pit. Now, the book of Revelation talks about three different beasts, one that rises from a bottomless pit, here in chapter 11, and then in chapter 13, one that rises from the sea and another that rises from the earth. We refer to this as the unholy trinity. The one rising from the beast is probably none other than the devil himself, Satan. The one that rises from the earth is his chief uh, emissary, uh, the Antichrist we call him. The one that rises from the sea in Revelation 13 and verse 11 is what we call the false prophet who leads a a worldwide religion, a one-world religion during the tribulation period. But in Revelation chapter 11, when the two witnesses are doing their work for the Lord on planet earth, this beast from the bottomless pit, Satan himself, strikes them, makes war with them, and kills them. And their bodies, according to the vision here, their bodies lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. Now, can you imagine with the technology we have today, with the smartphones, with the social media platforms, every eye in the world will see these two corpses, Elijah and Moses, lying in the streets of Jerusalem? And if that isn't mysterious enough, John goes on to say, after three and a half days, the breath of God comes into these two bodies, and they rise from the dead. Can you imagine Can you imagine this? Uh, I mean, how many times people were watching these videos on their smartphones over and over and over again, and just as they rise from the dead, they hear a voice from heaven that says, Come on up here. And they get another one of those chariot rides. This is the second one for Elijah, first for Moses. And they take the chariot to heaven. And then John says what follows is an earthquake that just shakes the holy city. 7,000 people in Jerusalem die from the earthquake that shakes in this place. I said earlier that God always leaves a gospel witness on his planet, and it's an indication that in wrath he remembers mercy, and we should be glad for that. But before the 144,000 Jewish evangelists show up and before Elijah and Moses show up, Who is God's witness on the earth? Well, it's his church.
1: Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, The Mystery of God and the Two Witnesses. Remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry or to order selected resources like the series you're hearing right now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. The entire audio download of this series can be yours today for a gift to Something Good Radio. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. Mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456, or or call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now, here's Ron with the second half of today's Something Good radio message, the mystery of God and the two witnesses. It's his church. Hold your place here in Revelation chapters
0: 10 and 11 and go with me to Acts chapter 1. Real quickly, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 lay it alongside the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, and and you get the engine that is the the, the evangelistic thrust of the church. Uh, Acts 1.8 is very familiar. Jesus talks about, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts. But did you know he answered with that in response to a question the disciples had about the end of the age and about the future? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And you know what Jesus said to him at this time? Guys, don't waste your time thinking about things like that right now, okay? He he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that your father has fixed by his own authority. It's kind of a New Testament way, way of saying the secret things belong to the Lord. Now, let me get you focused on what you really need to focus on, disciples. And he goes on to say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. From this time forward until the day that the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first, and we, the true church, who are alive and remain are caught up together with him in the air, I'm describing that event known as the rapture. From the first century to the moment that trumpet sounds and the bride of Christ is raptured from this earth, we are his witnesses. And you can either be a good witness for Jesus or a lousy witness for Jesus in the sphere of influence that he has given to you. I had a professor in seminary who every time he talked about Acts 1.8, he used to say, evangelism is a gift given to the few, but witnessing is a responsibility given to every one of us. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you you think about it and you you want to try it out a little bit, you you can be my witness. No, he says, you are my witness. Us and the Holy Spirit is all he's got on this earth. The witness, the gospel witness that God leaves on planet earth right now when Jesus went back to the Father is the church and the burning question for us every day as, as a church corporately In this location, and and as you and me are individual members of the church scattered throughout this region and across the city and around the world, is what kind of gospel witness are we leaving? What kind of witnesses are we we, uh, in the sphere of influence that God has given to us? That's a question you have to answer for yourself that I have to answer as a pastor, and not just as a pastor, but as a member of a neighborhood, a family, an extended family, uh, and whatever sphere of influence that God has given to me. We are His witnesses. And when the witness that is the church of Jesus Christ is raptured out of this earth, God doesn't leave us without a a witness on the earth. That's when the 144,000 come. That's when the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, come. And through that and through, I'll say, an adjusted ministry of the Holy Spirit, this great spiritual awakening takes place. In wrath, God remembers mercy. Isn't that an awesome thing? But these two witnesses pay the ultimate price, do they not? And they are martyred by the beast that rises up out of the bottomless pit. I don't have time to read verses 15 through uh, 18 or so, but then John pictures a scene in heaven again with the seventh trumpet sounding and great worship taking place in heaven. And then he brings us to this Raiders of the Lost Ark scene. I know you've been waiting for that part, right? Indiana Jones, I wish I had a hat and a a whip. (laughs) Verse 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within the temple. And there were flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. What Indiana Jones could never figure out, what Steven Spielberg so wanted to script into his movie but never could the, the Bible reveals the mystery here of the missing Ark of the Covenant, that representation of the presence of God that followed the Jewish people around for all those years in the Old Testament. It's in the temple of God. Don't confuse the temple mentioned here in heaven with the temple at the beginning of chapter 11. You've got to know whether you're on earth or heaven as you kind of read through the book of Revelation. But the scene shifts to heaven in verse 15. And John is given a glimpse of the ark, the missing ark of the covenant. God knew where it was all the time. He's got it safely secured in the temple in heaven. Now, what do we do with a message like this? Again, it it piques our curiosity, as Revelation does, and and we could just walk away from uh, a message like this saying, wow, isn't that interesting? It's fascinating. A riddle, many riddles wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma, as Churchill says but we do nothing with the truth, and I don't want us to leave that way. As believers in Jesus Christ, getting a glimpse into the future like this should encourage us and spur us to walk by faith. Yes, when, when it's times are, the times are sweet to follow Jesus, and even in times when it's, it's bitter and difficult and hard to follow him, is to walk by faith, and as you walk by faith, to share your faith. Like Noah, who was building that ark for a hundred years, and there were people laughing at him and scoffing at him and saying what an idiot he was. He walked by faith. Every every nail he pounded into the wood was marked by faith. And we walk by faith as well, even as we share our faith. If you're here this morning and you're among those who are still hostile, skeptical, or maybe just a, a bit indifferent to the claims of Jesus Christ, I want to leave you with just one word from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And we could drop this into any place in our study of the book of Revelation. Just a moment of application, a wake-up call that goes beyond just curiosity seeking to applying these scriptures into our life. Isaiah said so many centuries ago, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found, because there's coming a day when the angel of the Lord will say, no more delay. Call upon him while he is near, while your heart is softened to the things of God. while you have a moment that is in your hands, and you can't guarantee that you'll have a second, let alone another day, let alone another week or a year or a a month, because time is not ours, call upon Him while He is near. And what you will find is a God who desires to pour His compassion upon you. Yes, in the midst of wrath, He remembers mercy, He remembers compassion. He will abundantly pardon your sins and mine if we just call upon Him, and if we simply Reach out to Him while He is near
1: and while He may be found. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, The Mystery of God and the Two Witnesses. And Ron, as we hit the halfway point of your series on Revelation, maybe now is a good time to do a reset. We've seen and heard a great deal about what will be going on in the last seven years of planet Earth, but... Let's talk about why the book was written in the first place. What is the purpose for us as 21st century believers in Christ? You know, Brian, I believe there are several reasons why God revealed this information to us. But one
0: of the biggest reasons, perhaps even the chief reason, is to offer people one last chance to believe that God truly is who He claims to be. Let's think about the generation that will be alive during this seven-year period of time known as the Tribulation. Things will be happening right in front of their eyes that God's word prophesied long ago. It will serve as one grand and final piece of evidence that the one true God, the only God there really is, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible. Down through the ages, God has given prophecies to people on earth, and, and many of them have already come to pass. Think about the birth, the crucifixion, and even the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Not only did God foretell these events, and not only did the people alive during Christ's day see those events unfold in their lifetime, uh, but there is also ample evidence for us today. And that evidence, I believe, is twofold. First, there is no small amount of evidence that these events did, in fact, take place. They happened in history. Second, there is plenty of evidence that those events occurred long after the prophecies were given. So God has a history of using prophecy as a sign, if you will, a way of revealing himself to people in a powerful way that hopefully will lead them uh, coming to the knowledge of repentance. And that, in a nutshell, is the primary purpose of any book in Scripture, including Revelation. It's a beautiful attempt by the Creator of the
1: universe to invite mankind to believe in Him. Whenever I hear talk about God's desire to have a relationship with us, I'm reminded of 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all might come to the knowledge of repentance. Your answer gives us a wonderful glimpse into that aspect of God's character. All right, Ron, the clock is running out, but before we leave for the weekend, could you tell us a little bit about your Monday message?
0: Well, Brian, when it comes to Revelation, there is so much that goes on in each chapter, in each passage, that it's really hard to explain it in just a few words. Uh, Let me just say that tomorrow we're going to Revelation chapter 12 to talk about a great war that will be fought during the last days of planet Earth. Now, to this point, we've read about death and famine and war on Earth, but this war, is one that will be fought in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the devil himself. It's a fascinating passage as I continue my series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days
1: of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. That's next time in Dr. Ron Jones' message, War in Heaven. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis, thanks for listening.